The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good morning, everyone. I always enjoy coming down here to Redwood City. A lively, intelligent uh, sangha down here. So uh, I'm happy to be here with you all. I thought I'd, uh, I'd do something a little different uh, this morning. But recently I was uh, going through my computer files trying to reorder them and clean them out. And I came across so many little pieces of uh, quotes. I, always, I collect a lot of quotes and snippets of poetry and uh, unpublished writing that I've done, and uh, uh, lots of little pieces that I wanted to share with others. And so I've put together a little collage, and uh, I'll present it to you, and then maybe at the end uh, it, will, it will have sparked some questions, and we can have some discussion. Um, but I want to start with a little bit of honoring of the sun, because at 1.44 p.m. today, uh, we will be passing through the autumnal equinox. Uh, that's where the earth and the sun are, uh, the earth is not tilted toward or away from the sun at all. It's sort of like on a flat plane. And uh, there's, the sun will be over the equator uh, all all day for 24 hours. So, uh, considering what D.H. Lawrence said, uh, our task in the coming era is to rejoin the dance of cosmic and biological evolution. And one of the ways we can do that is actually is honoring moments where uh, the heavens are, are pointing to a particular special occasion. So, Oh, and by the way, they, they've just discovered that actually we are on the bottom of the earth. Did you know to that? Know that? You know, it always seems like we're on the top, the top half, but we're actually dangling in, in, in space <laughs> on the bottom half. So our sun, uh, a little reflection. Our sun was formed 4.6 billion years ago today. <laughs> and most of the sun is hydrogen and helium. And in fact, the transforming of hydrogen into helium is what creates the energy that we use to run our lives, the sun being the, the fueling that, that runs our lives. Um, somebody figured this out. The, the sun creates enough energy in one second to supply the United States with energy for 13 billion years. <laughs> have no idea how they figured that out, but they did. We, we capture, on Earth, we capture one billionth of the sun's energy. The sun is orbiting through the Milky Way galaxy. It completes one one orbit every 250 million years, which means that the sun is about 
25 galactic years old. And it will become a red giant in, in about 5 billion years, engulfing the Earth and, uh, and all the other planets. And, and if that doesn't get us, the Milky Way galaxy and Andromeda are heading toward each other. They're heading for a, a, a collision. And each of our galaxies has a huge black hole, and it's expected to combine into an even bigger black hole, and it sucks real big time. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's kind of a... a Reflection on our sun. When, you know, it, and it's, it's appropriate that, you know, we, we used to worship the sun, but if you feel the heat of your body right now, that is the sun's energy that has been transformed through these quite miraculous processes of photosynthesis and metabolism and into your living energy. That's where it comes from, up there or down there. So, Albert Einstein. Everything is determined, the beginning as well as the end, by forces over which we have no control. It is determined for the insect as well as for the star. Human beings, vegetables, or cosmic dust, we all dance to a mysterious tune intoned in the distance by an invisible piper. Hmm. Chuangzi, great Taoist trickster. Does heaven turn? Does the earth sit still? Do sun and moon compete for a place to shine? Who masterminds all this? Who pulls the strings? Who, resting inactive, gives the push that makes it go this way? I wonder, is there some mechanism that works it and won't let it stop? I wonder if it just rolls and turns and can't bring itself to a halt. Do the clouds make the rain or does the rain make the clouds? Who puffs them up? Who showers them down like this? Who, resting inactive, stirs up all this lascivious joy? Mary Oliver, the sun. Have you ever seen anything in your life more wonderful than the way the sun every evening, relaxed and easy, floats toward the horizon and into the clouds or the hills or the rumpled sea and is gone? And how it slides again out of the blackness every morning on the other side of the world like a red flower streaming upward on its heavenly oils, say on a morning in early autumn at its perfect imperial distance. Have you ever felt for anything such wild love? Do you think there is anywhere in any language a word billowing enough for the pleasure that fills you as the sun reaches out, as it warms you, as you stand there empty-handed? Or have you too turned from this world? Or have you too gone crazy for power, for things? You ever see anything so wonderful? 
we take for granted. We are exactly the right distance from our sun, of course, to appear as beings as we are. And that if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, life would not have evolved into these particular shapes, or we'd all be, we'd all be at the poles, you know, or living underground, or if the sun was, or if we were a little bit further away from the sun, we'd all be huddled around the equator, or we'd be woolly mammoths or something, you know. That it's this configuration that creates our existence in the shape we're in. Life's continual dance with natural forces is what brings forth our senses, our way of mobility, phenomenal uh, understanding we're, 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 we've gained over our origins, over what makes us the way we are. Gary Snyder. Ah, to be alive on a mid-September morn, fording a stream barefoot, pants rolled up, holding boots, pack on, sunshine, ice in the shallows, northern Rockies, Rustle and shimmer of icy creek waters. Stones turn underfoot, small and hard as toes. Cold nose dripping, singing inside. Creek music, heart music. Smell of sun on gravel. I pledge allegiance to the soil of Turtle Island. And to the beings who thereon dwell. One ecosystem in diversity under the sun with joyful interpenetration for all. <laughs> Here's a couple pieces that I wrote that have never seen the light of day, so we'll see if they're worthy. Why do we exist? The crow's nose. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why did consciousness happen? Why is there suffering and death? We keep asking these questions that begin with why. And everywhere we go in the world, the crows are there, strutting around on the street or gazing down on us from the wires and branches, repeating the answer over and over and over. Because, because, because. Changing fields. It's time for you to change professions. You've been a psychologist of yourself for way too long. If you were any good, there would be more people calling for appointments. <laughs> so leave the psychology behind and become an anthropologist. Dig through the status symbols of your civilization. Uncover the fashion trends that dress you. Unearth the unique ways your society approaches sex and food and tribal configurations. From your studies, you will know that these are all temporary appearances. You could also become a biologist of yourself and study how you came to have a spine, a desire for sugar, an innate ability to use language. From your studies, you will know that no species remains a permanent fixture on the landscape of Earth. You might also become a cosmologist and investigate wormholes into other universes or just count the galaxy clusters in this universe. Maybe all of that activity will also take care of any psychological issues you might be having. 
That's uh, such a uh, <coughs> metaphor for a lot of what happens in Buddha Dharma. As the Buddha explained to his son Rahula, if you take a teaspoon of salt and put it in a glass of water, it will make the water turn salty and taste salty. But if you put that same teaspoon of salt in the Ganges River, it won't taste salty. It won't change the way it tastes. Holding the big perspectives. Such a relief to step out of the purely personal narrative, the story that we tell ourselves over and over again about who we are, and realize that we're much more than that. Much, much more than that. We belong to communities that are so large and inclusive. Mammals and animals and vertebrate. Say it loud, I'm a vertebrate and I'm proud. (laughs) Jerry Snyder was once camping with fellow poet Lou Welch in the Mendocino Redwoods. As they looked up at trees that were hundreds of years old, Snyder said, I bet the trees are thinking that we humans are just passing through. And Welch looked around and replied, and the rocks around here must be thinking these trees are just passing through. (laughs) Be here, huh? Modern science said we should no longer think of space as separate from time. We now live in space-time, the two inseparably intertwined. So remember, the next time you say to someone, be here now, you're being redundant. <laughs> oh, this was wonderful. I don't know if you are aware of this. There have been several articles recently. Uh, this was by Michael Pollan in the New York Times. Uh, announcing that we're, we're now pretty certain that our bodies are made up of 90% other species of life. Only 10% of your body is your, uh, your cells. The rest of it are, you know, invaders and occupiers. <laughs> our body includes hundreds of species of microbes, bacteria, About a hundred trillion of them are living out their lives on your skin, in your mouth, in your stomach. And 99% of the genetic material inside of us is uh, microbial. As the great uh, evolutionary biologist biologist, uh, Lynn Margulis says, The concept that we have of the individual is purely arbitrary. Each of us is a walking ecosystem. You have all these other beings in you and uh, on you and in you, and uh, most of your most of the genetic material inside of you is belongs to these microbes and bacteria and are not yours. 
we are so much more, we have share so much more with other species of life than we, than we think. We've so, uh, most of our history, humans have been so arrogant. We've said that we were specially created and that we have really not, we were set here to dominate and control and uh, we really have nothing to do with these other species. Uh, we don't know what they're doing here, but we're, we have souls and we know what we're doing here. But, but it, that whole view is changing mercifully because it may be part of the reason why we've treated the atmosphere and the ecosystems so poorly is because we don't feel like we are really connected. So I think one of our tasks in the coming era, along with reducing our crazy consumption, is uh, to change the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. So recently in the unraveling of the genome, we've discovered how much we share with other species. For instance, we share, as you know, perhaps uh, nearly 98% of our DNA with chimpanzees. We share 88% of our DNA with mice. That's because most of the instructions for building and maintaining you are instructions for building and maintaining a basic mammal. You've you got to build a nervous system and a circulatory system and an immune system and senses and make them all work together and I mean, that's a lot. There's a lot of information that goes into creating a basic mammal. So we share that much uh, of our, our genetic uh, information, our code, with mice. We share nearly 65% of our DNA with chickens, 40% with worms, 18% with yeast. So if we declare ourselves divine, is, is the slime not divine? And if not, where do we draw the line? Who gets a soul? Mushrooms, do they? Snails? There's a great uh, t-shirt put out by the biology department at Santa Cruz. It says, we share 25% of our DNA with bananas. Get over yourself. <laughs> Uh, famous anatomist Richard Owens in the mid-1800s published a classic monograph called On the Nature of Limbs, and he realized that uh, there is a certain pattern to our skeleton, which is shared by many species. You take your arm, there's one bone up here, the top bone uh, for the upper arm, two bones for the forearm, and then a, a bunch of little bones, and then five uh, digits coming off. Uh, the same arrangement of bones exists in your leg, and all creatures with limbs, either wings, flippers, fins, or hands, have this design of this bone structure. And after, after Owen's study, where he published this uh, information, Darwin came out with an explanation. He said the reason that human arms and bird wings are, and frog legs or human legs share these patterns of bones is because we have a common ancestor that we all descended from uh, the same lineage of beings. And then uh, I was just reading Richard Dawkins' uh, wonderful book called uh, The Greatest Story, 
ever told. I think of it as the latest, greatest story ever told, because we don't know. But uh, he says, if you, go, if you took a picture of your great-grandfather, say, maybe he looks a little bit like you even, you know, and then you go back a few hundred great-grandfathers, and there's uh, maybe someone with a longer forehead and a little more slanted uh, forehead, and someone your, your grandmother probably wouldn't mate with if uh, she had the chance. But you go back and back, and everybody can do this, because everybody has great, 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 great grandfathers. Go back 150 million great, great, great grandfathers, and you would have a picture of a fish. All of us are descended from fish. Those scaly little, you know, little things that... (laughs) Amazing. Uh, And just recently, just a few years ago, a group of scientists found a fossilized skeleton of a fish-like creature they called the Tiktaalik. They've been looking for the being that first came out of the waters and started living on land. And they found this uh, skeleton of a being that started to have shoulders and, uh, and elbows and wrists so they could kind of do push-ups and they could waddle around on the, on the earth. Because we are the way we are in response to nature's demand. If you want to survive, you've got to grow you know, something new. And consider that, considering that there were no legs for about two and a half billion years of life on this planet because there was no land. There was no need for legs. Mary Oliver again. The fish. The first fish I ever caught would not lie down quiet in the pail but flailed and sucked at the burning amazement of the air and died in the slow pouring off of rainbows. Later I opened his body and separated the flesh from the bones and ate him. Now the sea is in me. I am the fish. The fish glitters in me. We are risen, tangled together, certain to fall back to the sea. Out of pain and pain and more pain, We feed this feverish plot. We are nourished by the mystery. Out of pain and pain and more pain, we feed this feverish plot. We are nourished by the mystery. All parts of the earth are trampled, full of commerce. Fields drive back the forests. Even rocks are cultivated. Swamps are drained. Today's towns outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere are residences, peoples, governments, life. And this above all proves man's drastic growth. We so clog the universe it can barely support us. As our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them. And nature fails us. That was written by the Roman historian Terulian in 150 A.D. 
history repeats itself. As James Joyce said, history is a nightmare from which I am trying to awaken. I recently heard someone on the radio explaining the new crime of identity theft. I immediately thought, yes, rob me. Take my identity. Leave the cash, please. We have to change our lifestyle. I don't know how we're ever going to do it because we're so addicted to our stuff, you know. But a friend of mine and I were on the radio back in, this is, goes back to the late 70s. We wrote this little piece. Are you worried about the energy crisis? Disgusted with high utility bills? Fed up with being an energy victim? Then take control of your life today and make your home energy self-sufficient with U.S. Atoms Home Nuclear Reactor. Small enough to fit into your abandoned fallout shelter, yet powerful enough to power your major home appliances, including your washer, dryer, stove, refrigerator, freezer, microwave, waffle iron, toaster, coffee maker, mixer, blender, food processor, crockpot, Electric wok, electric knife, knife sharpener, can opener, popcorn popper, cheese grater, meat slicer, dishwasher, garbage disposal, trash compactor, electric broom, vacuum cleaner, water heater, hot tub, sauna, water pick, electric toothbrush, alarm clock, AM, FM radio, tape deck, turntable, amplifier, colored television, VCR, electric lights, and your automatic garage door opener. Your home nuclear reactor comes fully equipped with a lightweight plastic containment vessel and easy-to-follow emergency instructions in case of a mini meltdown. (laughs) If you order today, you'll receive free directions on how to assemble a home-sized atom bomb out of your leftover (laughs) nuclear waste, enabling you to become a dominant military power in your very own neighborhood. (laughs) U.S. Adams Home Nuclear Reactor, get them while they're hot. Now, the, the, the question is, how many of those devices do you actually own? I bet most of them, right? Oh, that's right. Now we've got, uh, yes. Oh. At least we've, we've figured out finally what uh, the purpose of the opposable thumb, you know. We finally figured it out. The... Uh, You know, in the Mahayana, people take what is known as the Bodhisattva vow. I mean, you probably are familiar with that, many of you, if Gil has done his teaching well. Uh, (laughs) And the Bodhisattva vow says uh, that um, uh, beings are, are numberless. I vow to save them all. Dharma gates are, are numberless. I vow to pass through them all. I've got a, a, an American uh, vow that we should take. Desires are endless. I vow to fulfill them all. <laughs> and I call it the Bodhisattva vow, you know. That, okay. Now we're getting stupid. So why don't, why don't we see if anybody... Uh, I, have a, I have a poem I'll finish with, but... Any comments, questions, additions, corrections...
Let me add a quote to your collection that someone told me about yesterday from Magic Mouse, a wonderful song that ends with the refrain, someday you will die somehow and someone's going to steal your carbon. <laughs> someone's going to steal your carbon. <laughs> I like that. You know, you, if you think you want to lighten up your carbon footprint, don't take a step. <laughs> We're something like 75% carbon. If you, if you get rid of all the water. We are, car- we are the problem, obviously. Mm-hmm. I've been reading an interesting book about these huge upheavals of climate that have happened in the past and uh, on the Earth, and uh, 350 million years ago, there were these giant volcanoes, and 95 percent of all the species that were alive at the time died out uh, because the environment was so altered and so devastated, and the mixture, the the uh, atmosphere was changed from from carbon dioxide and methane heavy to oxygen heavy and there weren't that many beings that lived on oxygen yet and uh, so most of the beings died out but then of course it made way for oxygen breathing beings like you and me every every great extinction has led to new adaptation that's how it works but life is tough Life is really, I mean, I don't think we need to worry about, you know, preserving life. Life will go on. Uh, Maybe in some different form. I mean, life has survived comet collisions and, uh, you know, climate upheavals and ice ages regular ice ages. Henry Kissinger, we survived Henry Kissinger. (laughs) There's hope, there's hope. Yeah. My son is a PhD in chemistry. And I just saw him recently, and I asked him the question. The last 12 years, each year has been warmer than the next. And the scientists say that that's unprecedented, that that, that the odds are millions to one that that this should happen, because it varies back and forth. And I said, if this keeps up, how long is it, you know, humans going to be able to live here before it gets too hot? He said, 100 years. That sounds uh, pretty, pretty brief. Yeah. Not my problem. Not my problem. (laughs) Right. Well, you don't want to get into this crisis, crisis mode. You know, there's so many crises, you know, that that you just, you know, you get, you can get despairing and you can really become a kind of nihilistic, you know, it doesn't, nothing matters. I think it, Depends on on sort of what what you feel your task in the world is or your gift in the world is, and if it has to do with lessening of suffering for yourself and others, 
then you're on the right track. If you're, if you're talking about saving the planet, saving life, it's a bit grandiose, you know? I mean, it's sort of like, do you really think you can, you can save the world, you know? The Chuang Tse, that poem I read about, you know, who pushes everything around like that, he, he would say often, uh, do you really think you can take over the universe and improve on it and make it? It's so, it's, the forces that are working are so much bigger than our, you know, what, what we can accumulate and muster. So all we can do really is try to be kind and equitable and see that, you know, see if we can make this difficult life a little bit easier for ourselves and others. I'm a big fan of the first noble truth. I think if you can really embrace the fact that this planet and the conditions on this planet are not particularly nice or happy ones, and that you don't... Uh, one of the best things I wrote in my notebooks, I haven't, didn't bring it, but it's simple. I wrote, you don't have to be happy. And it was such a relief. To, it's, sort of like, it's sort of like understanding that you don't have to be in, you know, there's no such thing as enlightenment. You know, we're all kind of stuck in a particular body at a particular moment in the development of consciousness. You know, we're starting to wake up. The Buddha and, and Socrates and Lao Tzu, they were 2,500 years ago, which is a blink of an eye in any kind of biological scheme of things. We, and, and here we are doing these practices. We're, we've just found this, we, this ability, this quality called mindfulness, where we can actually step out of the flow of our psyche and out of our drama and, and observe ourselves and maybe free ourselves from some of the past conditioning. This is a brand new game. And when you think of it that way, it, you, you can get much more hopeful than thinking that, you know, yeah, and the, the crisis crisis, you know, we don't want that. We want to be, you know, hopeful. Even if <laughs> there's really no hope. <laughs> I, always had to, I always have to add, add that because I'm a firster. I, I love the, the first noble truth. If, if you were given the conditions of life, would you think you'd sign up for it? How many? I mean, okay, you're going you're gonna to come into a body that has needs. It has to be fed a few times a day. That means you gotta, you're going to have to work and you're going to, you know, there'll be moments of joy and, and pleasure, but they're going to be, they're going to be worried. You're going to, you know you're going to die, which you really don't want to do. Uh, are you going to sign up for this? Uh, the, the last comment, um, 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 it's not my problem, uh, 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 reminds me, reminded me of a conversation I often have with myself and I feel like I'm in the perfect place to, to, to share that conversation. Please. Um, so it goes something like this. Um, I hear, you know, a uh, hundred years, there'll be nothing, no planet left or, or, or whatever. And I think, well, I'll be gone. Um, do I care? And then something stirs inside and I, 
I think, well, if I had children, I'd care, and their grandchildren, and I have lots of friends who have them. I don't. Um, so um, something stirs, and I wonder, do I care about that? And, and I'm not so sure um, how, how deep that caring I can stretch it. And then I think, well, maybe I should just care for the planet itself, you know, like the rocks and the trees, they'll go on. And um, uh, can I have emotions and feelings for them? And um, as I said, this is a conversation that goes on that I have yeah. with myself. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, uh, I'll leave it to you to, to, to share. tell you what to do. Not to, decide, not to decide what to do, but to, to add the, to add the, ne the next sentence. <laughs> well, if you believe, if you see uh, the humans in the story of evolution, right, and that we come uh, through this lineage of fish and mammals and with, with instincts that are, you know, continually, we're built to be somewhat fearful, always looking out for threats, always looking out for opportunities. Uh, that's how the brain and the nervous system are built. Uh, if you kind of understand, if you, if you see ourselves in the story of evolution, we, you realize that you are not your fault. <laughs> you know, you didn't choose this condition. So you just got to try to make the best of it. I, I don't know what to tell you. One more, I think, and then we're... Oh, I'm sorry, I disagree. Um, we are our fault, and you ask, uh, would you sign up for life? And I can't speak for all the other people in this room, but if I believe this for myself, then uh, you might infer that I also believe it for other people, but I did sign up. Uh, the Buddha taught about karma, and he taught about how desire brings us into this world. And even though it is, in many respects, um, and the Buddha said this himself, the body and being alive can be gross and disgusting and all this stuff, but it's also very nice. There are all sorts of little rewards, all sorts of little sensual things, and we get a lot of pleasure out of it. So I, I did sign up to be here, and I would propose to you that everybody here signed up. Uh -huh. po very possible, very possible. Uh, and, and I'm glad, you, I'm glad you, you're glad that you signed up. I, there's quite a few times that I'm, I'm quite glad. I, it's a mixed bag, you know. Uh, I used to believe in reincarnation, actually. But that was in a previous life. <laughs> Okay, so let's just sit for just a couple minutes together. Thank you all for, for being here, and whatever donation you offer is greatly appreciated, and hope to see you on the path again someday soon.
Have a wonderful day.